Scripture this morning is going to be Galatians 3, 1 through 9. And if you've got the Bibles in, in the pew, it's, I think it's page 973. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Do not receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith. Are you foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God was, would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be, shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Galatians 3, 1 through 9. Thanks, man. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad CJ's here. <laughs> So, uh, before we dive into this, I just wanted to um, alert you to the fact that something exciting has come up around the corner. Um, after we finish the Galatians series, we're going to do a church-wide project around Advent, all right? So, um, we'll, we'll have books, you know, later. They're only $2 each, so if you can't afford that, well, anyway. So, um, yeah, there's readings each day, and then my sermons will be based on kind of the theme of that reading for the, the previous week. So that's just around the corner. I'm sure Tip is going to announce that later on, but that's something I wanted to mention. So excited about that. So why are we here? We ask that question now and then, and uh, you notice we don't sell popcorn today. Today is, is name tag Sunday, but we don't have popcorn. We're, we're, we're not passive spectators at church. We're participants. This isn't like a, a movie, right? So we come to participate. We're, we're actively engaged in the salvation story that we're all in, involved in. And so, um, yeah, well, there's a lot of other reasons why we don't sell popcorn, but uh, that is one of the main ones, right? So just to review where we've been, we're in the middle of Galatians. If you're joining us online, hello, I'm glad you're tuning in. We're in Galatians 3 today. And so far, Paul has been defending his gospel. He's been accused of distorting the teaching of the Old Testament. He's been accused of um, being dependent on other apostles and he has answered those very clearly, saying, hey, I got my revelation, I got my grace-free gospel, sometimes I call it my Old Testament law-free gospel of grace, from Jesus himself. So what are you going to do with that, Pharisees? And it's not a distortion. I mean, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, so he knows the Old Testament better than anybody. So he is just going through all these things. Uh, remember that one verse that said, he confounded the Jews in Damascus, right? And so... He, his use of the Old Testament was phenomenal. And so he is, um, he is arguing that, that this new Christianity thing that Jesus came with, it's not just to supplement Judaism, okay? It's, it's not just to 
improve it. It's a complete replacement, and that is the issue that they struggled with, okay? So, and so much so that Paul uh, opposed Peter when Peter was, like, going backwards to Judaism and, and throwing the law back in the mix, and Paul stood up alone with confidence, saying, this is the new gospel, and we're not going to um, cut corners on that. So before we get going here, a couple definitions. Justification. It is a legal declaration, a standing of righteousness before God, a, a declaration of being in right relationship. So when you become a believer in Jesus, when you become saved in that sense, that's a point in time. And at that point in time, you are, past tense, justified. In the eyes of God, based on the work of Jesus, you're good to go. Your sins are forgiven, okay? But after, after you've been justified comes the sanctification process, and that is a process of God's gracious, supernatural, unmerited work of transformation in our heart, mind, and soul. Now, that is where we're going to be going today. This is so confusing. Sometimes people get lost and confused about how do I make progress in the Christian life? Is it through works? Because then so you, you read in Scripture, it's like, well, it seems to be by faith, but it sure seems like there's some works. I can't just sit on the couch with the remote and by, oh, I have faith, so sanctify me. I mean, so we're going to get into that today, and, and I'm, I'm excited about um, what I've learned and what I'm learning. Anyway, works of the law, sometimes we see that phrase in these passages. Works of the law simply means the obligations found in the Old Testament, it, like all of them. Okay, remember, when you read about circumcision here, it's not just one thing. It stands for all of the law. That's just code for the whole thing, the whole package, okay? Uh, Judaizers, technically, it's a Gentile who seeks to become Jewish. Sometimes we refer to the Pharisees as Judaizers because they want to make the Gentiles Jewish, okay? Uh, sometimes we just call the Pharisees agitators or troublemakers, things like that. All right, so those are, some, those are words that swirl around the simple thing we call the gospel. Remember, in, in antiquity, um, the gospel, the, the Greek word euangelion, it, was used, it had been used for hundreds of years, and it simply mean, means good news. When a new king would conquer new territory, then this new king would send out good news. He would send out literally the gospel to his new kingdom, saying, hey, we, I have conquered new territory. We have new members of our kingdom and, and new resources, and with that come new obligations and new benefits. And so you are members of a new kingdom, because this is good news. And so that good news word was co-opted by authors of Scripture as they talk about the good news of Jesus, because he's a new king, he has a new kingdom, he has new territory and new members and new benefits. And so to them, they would be like, got it. It was really, really, uh, really clear. So what is the gospel? Here are a couple, a couple things about the gospel. The good news replaces the bad news, right? Uh, the new king, new kingdom, new members, that whole thing. Salvation is belief plus nothing. That's Paul's gospel of grace very different than the Judaizers' gospel. A couple of verses from 1 Corinthians that, that swirl around the gospel. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. He's going back to his receiving it from Jesus. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to 12 and then to 500 people at one time, so it's not a trick, you know what I mean? He's very clear. He appeared to all these people. This is not a hoax. 
And look at the emphasis on in accordance with the scriptures. Now that, if you're a Jew, you know the scriptures, and Paul is coming at this like the gospel is in the Old Testament. It starts in Genesis 12. We'll, we'll get to that, but that's, that's what he's talking about, okay? So the, um, the gospel. Let's go to verse 1 here. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get rolling with chapter 3, verse 1, but before we do that, a couple questions. I've already mentioned it a couple times. Do you get confused about the Christian life in between... trying or trusting. If you look at your own life, your walk with God, Monday through Saturday, Sunday, whatever, is it something that you're trying to do? Or what role is trusting? And I'm not talking about becoming saved. I'm talking about Monday through Friday with the kids, with the coworkers, with the speed limit, with whatever it is that pushes our buttons. What role does trusting Jesus play in us becoming more like him on a day-to-day basis? And where do, where do my efforts come in? And are my efforts disqualified? Or should I not have effort? Okay. So um, that's what we're going about. Okay, so chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? <laughs> it was before your eyes that this Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So it's just a great... It's just a great, um, great first verse there in the chapter. So, I think, I think I'm out of order here. Well, well, I guess we'll just get to that later. Okay, so um, the area of Galatia, it, it, it's, um, it's not a city, it's an area, right? And in this particular area, uh, a conservative group of Jews from Shammai, Shammai was a man, he was a Pharisee, and he developed his own entire philosophy of interpreting the Old Testament, very strict, very literal. And according to this branch of the Pharisees, no Gentiles could even, you, you can't. You, you have to convert to Judaism, and then you can be saved, okay? And um, the other one was, um, was Hillel, and that was, that's what we see up here in a, a different... Um, they were more liberal. Paul was probably of that sect because you can have Gentiles come in, but then the argument was you still had to do all the law. Anyway, Paul says, who bewitched you? It's just a great term, isn't it? Who cast a spell on you? You're so fuzzy in your thinking. Like, are, are you? And th- this is so different than the normal letters from Paul. Hugs, you know, and the holy kisses, and you know, grace and peace. And, and he's like, who bewitched you? You fools. In the verse 6, I'm astonished you're leaving. And so it's, he's, he's kind of wrapped around the axle. He's very frustrated about what's going on here, right? Um, but again, in this culture, bewitched, the whole magic cursing spell thing was very real. I mean, they have found ancient um, demonic incantation texts about casting spells. And so you, were, you would really be fearful. Maybe someone cast a spell on you. What would you do? Okay, that's the thing. Not so much today, right? We were in India years ago, way up in the Himalaya hiking, and there's a no-fly zone and, and close to China, and um, we, were, we were backpacking down, and um, I just remember leaving this village, and there's, there's a, a, a lady hiding behind our big rock, and I couldn't understand what she's saying. I don't even, you know, Indian or whatever. But the tone and the intensity and the repetition my first sense was she's cursing us. She's condemning and cursing us. And I didn't know that for certain, but that, that's just, you know, I'm like, because it's a very spiritual kind of trip because it's just dark, dark, spiritually dark. And I remember thinking, well, I'm covered by the blood of the lamb, so it's just not going to matter. 
Uh, it, was, it was nice to be able to be free from the fear of what if she's making a curse, right? So I just prayed and, and, and thanked God for the security I have in him and, and all that. And so, um, but in the first century, that's, that's more of a thing, right, of, um, of fearing. So, and Paul's not afraid. He, that's a figure of speech. You know, he's, he's basically saying you're, you're not thinking clearly. So verse 2, let me ask you only this. And he, he rolls off a ton of questions, okay? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That is the heart of the matter. How did you get the Spirit? Because the Spirit of God is the mark of the believer. Did it come through hard work? No, it came through hearing with faith. Hmm. Then salvation is by hearing with faith. So it, it's, it's pretty simple logic, and yet the Galatians were like, huh? They don't, they don't get it. They kind of get lost in that, all right? So again, these, these questions. He's driving a wedge between Judaism replaced. Now, Paul believes Judaism has been replaced by Christianity. But the, the old guard is like, no, Judaism, this Christianity thing, it's, it's more, of, um, more of an enhancement, all right? It's, it's more refined. Now, Judaism is refined. You keep, keep your gospel, Paul, but we'll just refuse it to refine Judaism, and that's not at all what Scripture's talking about. So, um, all right, so then we go to verse... Well, we're still in that verse. So this is what, um, this is what I'm talking about. Shammai, on the left here, refined Judaism. Judaism still is there, but Christianity is just part of, part of Judaism versus Hillel, the, conser- the, the liberal part of Judaism. It just replaced, and Judaism is no more. A whole new system is in place, and it's by faith. All right? And so the outline... I think I'm behind on my slides. Um, Chapter 3 today, it's where we're going. God's family is defined by faith, not by works, and you grow in Christ through faith, not works. So that's what we're doing. And today's sermon is brought to you by the letter S. Since I'm in the random mode, okay. So this is what we're trying to say today, trying versus trusting. Are you trying hard to please God and be all God wants you to be, or are you trusting God living out of who God says you are? And it's not that easy. Um, sanctification by faith is, is tricky, and we want to try to make it simple today. So this is where we're going. This is where I've already been. This is the map I thought I was going to show earlier. Galatia is an area, and Paul visits the whole area. He's preaching his grace his law-free gospel of grace, and after that trip, he writes Galatians from Antioch, okay? So here we go to these questions. Chapter 3, verse 2, question number 1, how did you receive the Spirit? And the answer is by faith. Um, I want to drill into this here and and point out something pretty important. He has already said in chapter 1, verse 11, listen to this, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not man's gospel. He calls them brothers. And, and these, are, these are Gentiles that have become believers, so it's not just Jewish brothers. They're, they're believers. The Gentiles are so confused about how to make progress in the spiritual life, but Paul just assumes they're saved. This is a beautiful point. You... You don't lose your salvation when you're confused about how to grow in the Christian life. Okay? Whenever you're confused, like, do I have to do this or do more? Even if you slip off and, and, and you go, like, I've got to do all these works to be saved or to be sanctified, 
Well, hey, brothers, that's not how it works. Still saved, just confused, okay? Think of that when you have kids, aunts, uncles, parents, whoever, that, that, that you know, believe in Jesus and then launch out on this, oh, you can't do this, you got to do this, and the lists. The lists just never stop coming, okay? Still saved, just confused. There's hope. There's hope to come back to the gospel of grace. This is what we're seeing here in this. Okay, and then here, this is a verse. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, Romans 8 and 9 is a classic verse that says, uh, if you have the Spirit of God, you're a believer. If you don't, you're not, period. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, the issue here is sanctification, ongoing growth. It's not initial salvation or justification, all right? So these, these Gentile people, they're in the area of Galatia. Now, that area is dominated by Shammai, and those Jews wanted to flee the, the paganism of Hellenism in, in Rome, and they're very bright, they're very powerful, and they sprinkled all throughout the Galatian area, okay? Well, um, the people, there, there's, there's extra-biblical literature, uh, historical documents that just talk about stupid Galatians. I mean, it, they don't have a good reputation. It's kind of like our state... Well, I probably shouldn't say that because y'all might be watching from there. Anyway, I'm just saying, we have, we have some associations with some places that, that just are different like that. And so this area of Galatia, they, they don't have a good reputation, okay? And so when Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you know, it's, it, uh, it catches in their culture a little more than, just, um, than, it, than it does in ours, okay? All right. So, but these, these Galatian believers, they're, they're facing opposition by the Shammai Pharisees. Now, if you're a Galatian believer and, or unbeliever and you come to Christ, you're going to come to Christ through the little door of the Hallel Pharisee, the liberal Pharisee, that even says you can be saved. Well, well now then you've got these other big shot, smart Pharisees all over Galatia that are differ, different than you, right? And they're, hey, you've got to become, become a Jew to be saved. And, and he's like, well, I thought Paul said I didn't have to. And you have this tension. It's just, it's just confusing, okay? So um, legalism is a thing, and sometimes it's cloaked. And so these Jews would have this legalism. You have to do all this stuff to be saved. Remember Acts 15.1? Um, men from James came down from Jerusalem and said, unless you do the law of Moses, you, you cannot be saved. So that's one kind of legalism. But then there's another kind of legalism that says you can't grow into the likeness of Jesus unless you do this and you don't do that. And the lists never end. And you and I maybe grew up in some cultures with lists. Be a good Christian. Don't, don't, can't do that. You, can't, you better do that. Okay, and so, and remember the thing with lists. The Spirit of God, as we individually walk with Jesus, we get lists because the Spirit's like, John, you, you, better, you, you better speak more kindly to your wife. You, you, better, you better not do this with your kids. You know, at work, you walk, you know what I mean? And, and that's my lists. And it would be foolish for me to give you those lists. We got it, right? Okay. So we, we have lists that, that are spirit-generated. Um, all right. So I ran into something, and I'm going to read it to you. It's a, a, just a weird, a weird blog. It said charismatic legalism. And, and the blog is like, yeah, those two words normally don't go together. Charismatic legalism. It just get, get the spirit of this 
this, this, um, this little short post here. It's very, very interesting. Um, and this, this is all about trying and not trusting. Charismatic legalism is a thing, and it's creating more bondage than freedom. I liken it to jumping through hoops. Here are the hoops. If I just prayed in tongues more, if I raised my hands and shouted louder and jumped higher, if I rebuked the devil more, if I watched the power of my words, if I had another person lay hands on me, then I could get free. If I did more for the kingdom, if I prophesied more powerfully, if I went through that fire tunnel one more time, I don't know what that is, but um, fill in the blank to whatever thought any one of us in these moments would have had. But where is Christ in all of this? It is works-based and self-centered rather than trusting the finished work of Christ Jesus on the cross for our sins and for him to have his righteousness imputed to us. That was a good line right there. Forgive me, but for all the talk of desiring relationship over religion, there's a disconnect. Legalism is exhausting because there's no rest in the peace of God and truly enjoying him, regardless of times in the valley or times in the mountaintop. The gospel is lost in all of this. There's no good news when your work depend on the work of having victory. So I just thought, wow, that's, that's pretty, pretty powerful. But when we think of legalism, you usually don't think of someone um, gravitating toward the Spirit of God. You, you know, they're gravitating toward the law and, and doing things. But it, Satan is super tricky. He will get us to keep your Bible, keep the gospel. Let's just refine it. Let's just twist it, right? And so... Um, I think that's what we see here. So if you find a church that is legalistic, pretty good chance that they're going to either ignore the Holy Spirit or just go overboard and, and, and just focus on their experience of the Holy Spirit, right? So again, the, the balance thing. But Paul's argument is like, hey, the Spirit is the guarantee of salvation. You have the Spirit. You, 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 you were saved by faith, and so salvation is by faith and not by works of the law. The works of the law come after the faith. All right, verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by justification, I'm sorry, having be, been begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? And so those, those question number two comes into focus here, okay? How is God sanctifying you? Um, and we've been talking about that, you know, you can do this, you can't do that, lists, um, all those kind of things. Number three, what... Have you, uh, let's go back here, number two. Um, yeah, what does it mean to be sanctified by faith? So, um, I've already mentioned this, but I just want to unpack it a little, a little deeper. The Spirit of God works in your heart on the inside, and that work on the inside shows up on the outside. Sanctification is not trying to behave like this on the outside, hoping that I become something on the inside. That's where I think a lot of people get mis get get the court, the horse in the court mixed up. Okay, so um, as we spend time in truth, the truth of God's word, He changes us. And then I'm I'm tempted to cheat on my finances or or sexual temptation or or eating chocolate or whatever you know the big sins. Okay, so um, just seeing if you're awake because I barely am. But anyway, um, so as we're tempted to do those, we're like, well, wait a minute. I, I, I love Jesus, and I've, I've found him to be trustworthy. I, I think I should, by faith, curb my behavior and believe that his word is true and act in faith by rejecting my temptation and saying, I think through loving and finding him trustworthy, I want to 
please him. It's not all about shame and guilt and being caught, okay? It's, it's not, okay? Um, so sanctification results from the supernatural presence and work of God inside that shows up over time, day after day after day after day, a month and years and decades, and we become more like Christ as we soak in God's word and find community and fellowship and uh, all that. So the beautiful thing in sanctification is whatever God requires, he gives. He gives the new life. He gives the empowerment. And so it's not this heavy, weird obligation. It's, it's actually a joy, okay? All right, so loving obedience is the fruit that follows faith. Justification happens, and then sanctification comes after that, and obedience is always a response to what God has done. So we participate in this. So our trying, there is trying. I mean, there is, there is work. It flows from faith. Don't get the trying and the faith mixed up in terms of the order, because the, the, the Pharisees did that, especially Shammai, all right? Um, when does a believer experience and receive the Spirit of God? That is also an interesting question. Here it says, at the moment of salvation, you receive the Spirit. The Spirit is a, is a token, it's proof of family membership, and that came by faith, not by works. So it brings up an important question, though. Um, maybe you've heard some teaching that, that says the Spirit can come in your life and then go and you disobey and the Spirit's gone. That's, that's not true. Scripture is very clear. If you have the Spirit, you're, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. So the Spirit's always with us, but you're like, well, wait a minute. When I'm sinning, I just feel so far from God. Okay, first off, feelings. You know, feelings are feelings. We grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit, but He's still there. Okay, understand that. So he's always with you, and um, we don't lose our salvation when we think we feel badly or we feel condemned or we feel distant from God. We just need to um, approach him and accept what he's already done for us. So the Spirit uh, sometimes, here's a question. Does the Spirit come and go in our lives? Um, are there multiple feelings not feelings, but fillings, like filling up. Are there multiple fillings of the Spirit? This tricky question, because if by that you, you, you think, well, there's multiple times you get the Spirit. No, there's one time. But if by that, Paul uses this word in Ephesians, um, be filled, be controlled. There are multiple times where we're controlled by the Spirit of God, because I obey today, I disobey tomorrow, and I, you know, on Tuesday, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm controlled. So it's just, a little, it's just um, maybe splitting hairs, but I just want to be clear on that. We want to be filled and controlled by the Spirit, but it's not a quantity filling, and in, in, it's, it's more of a control. All right, verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And here's the third question. Have you suffered in vain? And they had suffered in vain, okay? Because they're, they're Gentiles who become believers in a, in a dominated, Shammai, strict, Pharisaical world, but they're part of the Hillel group, so they're going to experience religious persecution, all right? Um, the only way they can... They can get out of that um, the expectation the Romans had of emperor worship was to become Jewish. Remember the, the, the Jewish exception? If he, back Herod made this deal, and the Jews, um, Herod is like, hey, Caesar, these Jews are ne never going to worship you. It's just not going to happen. And so, you know, how about if the Jews pray for you and make sacrifices for you? Not to you. 
And so some historians look at Herod as that sly fox. He's just tricked Caesar into this deal where he lets the Jews be Jews. And oh, anyway, so, but if you were a Gentile and you converted to Judaism, you have that, I have a, I'd have get out of jail free card. I don't have to worship. The, you know, they come with the swords off with your head. Well, here, I'm a Jew. Okay, but if you're the Hillel version of that and, and you understand that Judaism is the old system and you've embraced Jesus and, and the church as the new system, you... You don't have that umbrella of Judaism over you. You, you. you do not have a get out of jail for free card, okay? And so they have been experiencing religious persecution, Roman persecution. And so Paul is like, hey, you guys have been doing great so far, but if you go backwards, you, you, you're giving all that up. It's like training for a marathon and then just sleeping in on the day of the race. Maybe that's not a good analogy, but you know, it's just, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense in Paul's mind. Verse 5, so does he who supply the Spirit work miracles among you? Does he do that by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so the next question is, what accounts for all the miracles you witnessed? And apparently, when the, when the Judaizers, the Pharisees preached, they don't have miracles. Paul is like, these are special. Did, they, did, did you do something super cool to get the miracles? No, you, you heard by faith, and then, and then God does miracles. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is proof of family membership. This is where Paul is going. And now he shifts over to Abraham. Okay, um, Abraham in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is, this, is, um, this is the verse here. The key question, what makes one part of the family of God? This is Genesis 15, 6. It's actually, he quotes it, so it's the same thing. That, that's what quoting means. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So this is what Paul, because Paul's like, okay, Abraham's your big deal. I mean, you're like, oh, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And well, okay, Paul's like, let's take a look at Abraham since he's your hero. And it's not rock and science, Paul says. Paul says, okay, which comes first? Well, in, in chapter 15, he's counted as righteous. Two chapters later, he does the covenantal law. So Paul's got a pretty good argument here, right? And, and of the Pharisees, how they get out of this, they're like, well, Abraham was so special. He obeyed the law before there was a law. And you're like, come on, man. It's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But that's what they did. So, so he's just like laying it out there. It's like, first, he was righteous. And then later, he was expected to respond to that relationship through covenantal law. And so that's just, that's just what he was doing. All right. So verse 7. Here we go then. No, skipping that. Uh, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter S, and specifically a certain S on the end of a certain word. In you all the nations shall be blessed. This is Genesis 12, 2 or 3. In you all the nations shall be blessed. That means broader. Here's the whole package. Know then, this is Galatians 3, know then it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Because that's the question. Who's a son of Abraham? And Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand. That means the gospels in the Old Testament here in chapter 12 of Genesis. In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So his, Paul's whole argument here is, is that uh, it's of faith to belong to uh, the family of God. All right. So circumcision, the law, all those things, they put that before justification and got everything mixed up. Um, 
I've talk, talked about this before, this book. It's a pretty good book, just in terms of understanding practically in our lives the difference between trying hard to please God and trusting God. And so I keep recommending it. It's a pretty simple read, but um, for what that's worth. If, you, if you're trying in your daily walk, trying to become like Jesus, you're going to get burned out. You're going to fall short. You're going to hear messages of condemnation. And so what message do you hear? What gospel do you listen to? Are you getting beat up and condemned? That, that's not the gospel of grace. That's the gospel of the law. And, and so you, you want to pay attention to what, what the, 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 the tapes that, that cycle the messages that repeat in your head. I'm such an idiot. I never do this right. Well, well back up here and let's take a look at what thoughts you have cycling in your head. Okay? Um, that is critical. A gospel of trusting understands Jesus did the work through belief in him, I belong to him, based on his work, not my work, and uh, the spirit is proof of that family and membership. And, and watch out for pride, because that's super slippery. I am so good at observing the subtleties of pride. It's crazy. I mean, it really, it really is crazy, and so you want to be careful about that, all right? So, um, just a heads up on that. In the Old Testament, Paul is very clear here. Abraham was justified by faith. People have always been saved by faith in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, they look forward to the promise. In the New Testament, we look backwards on the reality. Everyone's saved by faith. So don't, don't think Old Testament, the law saved anybody. That was never the point. The law is always meant to condemn and to show that you are inadequate, broken. All right. Uh, verses 10 to 14 here. Uh, anyone who relies on the law is under a curse. He starts quoting a bunch of Old Testament verses here, pretty, pretty clear, and he quotes Deuteronomy. Cursed be anyone who does not conform, confirm all the works of the law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. So this Deuteronomy 27 and 28 happened at a place in the Old Testament called Shechem, and, and um, Mo, Moses divided Israel. Half of them were on Mount Gerizim, and half were on Mount Ebal, and and that's like a natural amphitheater there. If you're on one side of the mountain, you can talk to somebody across the valley just because of the way the topography works, right? So the point here, historically, this is where um, they read the law, and they said, one, one side would say, well, we're blessed if we do this, and the other side said, we're cursed if we don't. And so all the Jews know, yeah, this setting, you know, all of the law, we signed off. We, we signed it, we got it notarized, and we're, we're under the weight of what happened here historically, and so that's kind of what he's pointing to. The point is, all of the law is expected, and the law follows you with a microscope looking for any violations that you may have done, not only externally, but in your heart, your soul, your attitude. I'm done. I can't, I can't live under that. It's always going to find a shortcoming, and it finds one shortcoming, you're done. You are not suited to enter God's presence. That's the curse of the law. The curse of the law is not like some curse that, you know, God can cook concocts in some kind of beaker and, and like potions and cursed. That, that's not it. It's, it's the curse of trying to live under the impossible obligations of the law. That's the curse of the law. No one can keep it perfectly, but the expectation is everybody should, okay? So, verse 11 no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous, he goes to Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And so here's a verse from Habakkuk. I love that verse. Uh, Paul quotes it in Romans. 
The point here is that in spite of the coming Babylonian invasion where they're going to kill, burn, and destroy, righteousness has always been by faith. That's his simple point. The righteous live by faith, even way back in Habakkuk, okay? And then in verse 12, he quotes Leviticus 18. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them and live by them, I am the Lord. Okay, so um, what does it mean the one who does them shall live by them? Now, this is, this is a little bit tricky. The Sinai covenant, okay, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, that did not require you to be perfect because built into it were sacrifices. I mean, the assumption is you're going to fall short, so here's a turtle dove, and here's this, and here's that. So the sacrifices were built in, understanding that perfection is not required. But what happens then when Jesus shows up as the perfect sacrifice, the standards get raised. Because the Old Testament system pointed to Jesus. The perfect sacrifice has already come. And so now, under since Jesus has come, yeah, perfection is required because he can offer it. Can you? And the Judaizers who are trying to go backwards to, to that old system, Paul is like, okay, a couple problems here. One, it's over. And two, its whole purpose was to point to Jesus, and he's already come. And the only way it makes sense is to embrace Jesus and not go back to the thing that pointed to Jesus because he's here. Okay, that's, that's, that's kind of what he's talking about here, all right? So the Sinai Covenant is no longer operational. It never made perfect. It never could make perfect. Hebrews 10, the whole point there is, well, every year you got to keep doing it over and over and over. That should be a clue that it wasn't permanent. Contrast that to Jesus' one perfect sacrifice for all time, okay? Okay, verse 13. He became a curse for us. Again, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, and, and the, the verse from Deuteronomy, I've made this point before about the tree and how in the, the Gospels, it's always called a cross. In the book of Acts, it's never called a cross, always called a tree. Christ was hung on a tree, a tree, a tree, a tree, because Luke wants to bridge from the Septuagint the, the language of, of Deuteronomy. You, you hang him on a tree, the, the second line there, um, he's put to death, you hang him on a tree. Luke wants to help you understand that, that Christ was hung on the cross, a tree, because he's cursed by God because he took our sin. That's, that's what's going on there. Pretty, pretty brilliant. So, the blessing. Moving on down to the blessing in verse 14. In Christ Jesus. Now, this is tricky, too. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. If you stop right there, you might think, well, Jesus is, is the blessing. Because in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come. But read on. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the blessing is not Jesus. It says, in Jesus, the blessing is the spirit of God. Now think about this. The Jew-Gentile church, new world here, if they maintain that split and division, it's very possible that the Jews would be like the Jewish Christians. Well, we have the spirit of God. But the Gentiles, you Gentiles, you, you don't really have the Spirit of God. You can pretend, you know, that's neat. You can look like us, and here's all the stuff to do, but you don't have the Spirit. We, we have the Spirit. We're recipients of the covenant. We're special. And that division would have happened, except here, he's very clear. It's like, no, to all the nations, to everybody the Spirit is given who has faith in the Son of God. That's huge, all right? Um, so, key questions here. What he's trying to say, 
family blessings come through faith. Family membership comes through faith. The Spirit of God is a token of this membership. And the Spirit comes through faith, not through doing a bunch of stuff, okay? The law can only curse. Remember the illustration of the law? It's a mirror. It's never designed to fix your condition. All the law does is reveal your condition, and you have to be condemned enough through the high, impossible expectations of the law and go to Jesus, who is the only one who can satisfy the demands for the law. He's the perfect sacrifice. That's the only shot we have. Have you in the past tried to live under the law, doing this, not doing that? Have you tried perhaps to tell your children to do this and not do that? From good motives, as all parents, we want the best. Don't play in the street. Don't, don't invest in Enron and all this kind of stuff, right? And so, but, but eventually we can cross that line and, and we're starting to just nag and harangue and you, you shouldn't, you can't, and Christians don't do this and, and it just doesn't work. And it, talk about parenting by faith, to, to give the kids freedom and say, there's grace for that. You'll find an answer in Jesus. And let them move in that direction. We can coach and guide, but that's, that's scary because you don't know for sure what's going on. But we love them like Jesus loves them. Don't we? Yeah, we do. Most of the time. All right. Anyway. So, um, a couple key questions here. We, uh, we always like to think about what's going on. How do you respond to the fact that the Galatians were really confused? He says bewitched. That's seriously confused about how to continue or grow in their spiritual lives, yet they're still saved. And I hope, I hope that's an encouragement to you. I hope that you can go, oh, I don't have to doubt my salvation if I'm confused about how to grow in Christ there are good ways to grow closer to Jesus, and there's bad ways. There's good podcasts that help our faith, and there's bad podcasts that just screw it up. So we, we, and there's people that we want to commune with, and small groups or life groups here are a beautiful way to rub shoulders. And remember, he's given us his word, his spirit, and each other. Now, all three of those aren't on the same level of authority. If a friend says, do this, you want to submit that to the truth of God's word. But still, accountability and, and people are, are valuable. So... Um, does trying or trusting best describe your approach to living out the gospel? And again, um, trying should always flow from that loving relationship with God, right? So if I, if I had to put them in order, we love Jesus, we learn that he's trustworthy, and therefore by faith I change my behavior in temptation, because I believe what he says is true, and I love him and I want to please him, but it all starts with love. So if you... Listen to this carefully. If you have a disobedience problem, it's not an obedience problem. It's a love problem. Okay, if you, if you attack it like an obedience problem, that's the trying, that's the legalist. Here's a list. Obey, obey, obey. You got to back up and go, well, my heart is not warm to the Lord. And I've had times in my life where I just know that, seasons, you know, and I'm like, Lord, just don't want to spend time with you. It's okay, he knows. But would you, would you move my heart towards your goodness? Would you show me your kindness? Would you warm my heart towards you? That is a great prayer. He, he's, he's already a step ahead of you, and, he, and he'll welcome that. So in other words, just realize I, I want to approach the Christian life through loving you, trusting you, and seeing that matter in my sanctification. All right? Now, having said that, there are some things that just, yeah, just don't do these, okay? You know, robbing banks and the crazy stuff, you know, just that's not going to get you where you want to go. Um, 
So we have baggage in life because we all have fallen short, and, and even that baggage can be redeemed and used to connect others to the gospel. So um, I'm encouraged here because, because sanctification by faith does make sense. If we don't focus on behavior first, we focus on love first and allow that love and the work of the Spirit to transform inside, and what he does inside eventually shows up outside, all right? So... Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for giving us everything you require. We love you. We want to love you more. And sometimes we're just busy or tired or caught up by the tactile, shiny, beautiful, fun world we live in. And we just pray that you would capture more and more of our imagination, uh, our love, for you would grow. And that um, even with temptations, maybe there's like even just addictions and, and what I would say bondage to some temptations. We're just stuck in a cycle that, that your love would break through and free us to trust you and trust your way. And that, that through the inner work that you do in our heart and souls would free us and open that door of obedience where we can in faith, by faith say, yes, I want to obey you. And I just pray that you would honor and, and um, empower us in those moments to, to experience what it means to be sanctified by faith. Amen.